Part One of Chapter Ten of Book One of The Wealth of Nations. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Stephen Escalera. The Wealth of Nations by Adam Smith. Part One of Chapter Ten of Book One of Wages and Profit in the Different Employments of Labor and Stock. The whole of the advantages and disadvantages of the different employments of labor and stock must, in the same neighborhood, be either perfectly equal or continually tending to equality. If, in the same neighborhood, there was any employment evidently either more or less advantageous than the rest, so many people would crowd into it in the one case, and so many would desert it in the other, that its advantages would soon return to the level of other employments. This, at least, would be the case in a society where things were left to follow their natural course, where there was perfect liberty, and where every man was perfectly free both to choose what occupation he thought proper, and to change it as often as he thought proper. Every man's interest would prompt him to seek the advantageous, and to shun the disadvantageous employment. Pecuniary wages and profit, indeed, are everywhere in Europe extremely different, according to the different employments of labor and stock. But this difference arises partly from certain circumstances in the employments themselves, which, either really, or at least in the imagination of men, make up for a small pecuniary gain in some, and counterbalance a great one in others, and partly from the policy of Europe, which nowhere leaves things at perfect liberty. The particular consideration of those circumstances and of that policy will divide this chapter into two parts. Part 1. Inequalities arising from the nature of the employments themselves. The five following are the principal circumstances which, so far as I have been able to observe, make up for a small pecuniary gain in some employments, and counterbalance a great one in others. First, the agreeableness or disagreeableness of the employments themselves. Secondly, the easiness and cheapness, or the difficulty and expense of learning them. Thirdly, the constancy or inconstancy of employment in them. Fourthly, the small or great trust which must be reposed in those who exercise them, and fifthly, the probability or improbability of success in them. First, the wages of labor vary with the ease or hardship, the cleanliness or dirtiness, the honorableness or dishonorableness of the employment. Thus, in most places, take the year round, a journeyman tailor earns less than a journeyman weaver. His work is much easier. A journeyman weaver earns less than a journeyman smith. His work is not always easier, but it is much cleanlier. A journeyman blacksmith, though an artificer, seldom earns so much in twelve hours as a collier, who is only a laborer, does in eight. His work is not quite so dirty, is less dangerous, and is carried on in daylight and above ground. Honor makes a great part of the reward of all honorable professions. In point of pecuniary gain, all things considered, they are generally under-recompensed, as I shall endeavor to show by and by. Disgrace has the contrary effect. The trade of a butcher is a brutal and an odious business, but it is in most places more profitable than the greater part of common trades. The most detestable of all employments, that of public executioner, is, in proportion to the quantity of work done, better paid than any common trade whatever. Hunting and fishing, the most important employments of mankind in the rude state of society, become, in its advanced state, their most agreeable amusements, and they pursue for pleasure what they once followed from necessity. In the advanced state of society, therefore, they are all very poor people who follow as a trade what other people pursue as a pastime. 
fishermen have been so since the time of theocritus a poacher is everywhere a very poor man in great britain in countries where the rigour of the law suffers no poachers the licensed hunter is not in a much better condition the natural taste for those employments makes more people follow them than can live comfortably by them and the produce of their labour in proportion to its quantity comes always too cheap to market to afford anything but the most scanty subsistence to the labourers disagreeableness and disgrace affect the profits of stock in the same manner as the wages of labour the keeper of an inn or tavern who is never master of his own house and who is exposed to the brutality of every drunkard exercises neither a very agreeable nor a very creditable business but there is scarce any common trade in which a small stock yields so great a profit secondly the wages of labour vary with the easiness and cheapness or the difficulty and expense of learning the business when any expensive machine is erected the extraordinary work to be performed by it before it is worn out it must be expected will replace the capital laid out upon it with at least the ordinary profits a man educated at the expense of much labour and time to any of those employments which require extraordinary dexterity and skill may be compared to one of those expensive machines the work which he learns to perform it must be expected over and above the usual wages of common labour will replace to him the whole expense of his education with at least the ordinary profits of an equally valuable capital it must do this too in a reasonable time regard being had to the very uncertain duration of human life in the same manner as to the more certain duration of the machine the difference between the wages of skilled labour and those of common labour is founded upon this principle the policy of europe considers the labour of all mechanics artificers and manufacturers as skilled labour and that of all country labourers as common labour it seems to suppose that of the former to be of a more nice and delicate nature than that of the latter it is so perhaps in some cases but in the greater part it is quite otherwise as i shall endeavour to show by and by the laws and customs of europe therefore in order to qualify any person for exercising the one species of labour impose the necessity of an apprenticeship though with different degrees of rigour in different places they leave the other free and open to everybody during the continuance of the apprenticeship the whole labour of the apprentice belongs to his master in the meantime he must in many cases be maintained by his parents or relations and in almost all cases must be clothed by them some money too is commonly given to the master for teaching him his trade they who cannot give money give time or become bound for more than the usual number of years a consideration which though it is not always advantageous to the master on account of the usual idleness of apprentices is always disadvantageous to the apprentice in country labour on the contrary the labourer while he is employed about the easier learns the more difficult parts of his business and his own labour maintains him through all the different stages of his employment it is reasonable therefore that in europe the wages of mechanics artificers and manufacturers should be somewhat higher than those of common labourers they are so accordingly and their superior gains make them in most places be considered as a superior rank of people this superiority however is generally very small the daily or weekly earnings of a journeyman in the more common sorts of manufactures such as those of plain linen and woollen cloth computed at an average are in most places very little more than the day wages of common labourers their employment indeed is more steady and uniform and the superiority of their earnings taking the whole year together may be somewhat greater it seems evidently however to be no greater than what is sufficient to compensate the superior expense of their education education in the ingenious arts and in the liberal professions is still more tedious and expensive 
the pecuniary recompense therefore of painters and sculptors of lawyers and physicians ought to be much more liberal and it is so accordingly the profits of stock seem to be very little affected by the easiness or difficulty of learning the trade in which it is employed all the different ways in which stock is commonly employed in great towns seem in reality to be almost equally easy and equally difficult to learn one branch either of foreign or domestic trade cannot well be a much more intricate business than another thirdly the wages of labor in different occupations vary with the constancy or inconstancy of employment employment is much more constant in some trades than in others in the greater part of manufactures a journeyman may be pretty sure of employment almost every day in the year that he is able to work a mason or bricklayer on the contrary can work neither in hard frost nor in foul weather and his employment at all other times depends upon the occasional calls of his customers he is liable in consequence to be frequently without any what he earns therefore while he is employed must not only maintain him while he is idle but make him some compensation for those anxious and desponding moments which the thought of so precarious a situation must sometimes occasion where the computed earnings of the greater part of manufacturers accordingly are nearly upon a level with the day wages of common labourers those of masons and bricklayers are generally from one-half more to double those wages where common labourers earn four or five shillings a week masons and bricklayers frequently earn seven and eight where the former earn six the latter often earn nine and ten and where the former earn nine and ten as in london the latter commonly earn fifteen and eighteen no species of skilled labour however seems more easy to learn than that of masons and bricklayers chairmen in london during the summer season are said sometimes to be employed as bricklayers the high wages of those workmen therefore are not so much the recompense of their skill as the compensation for the inconstancy of their employment a house carpenter seems to exercise rather a nicer and a more ingenious trade than a mason in most places however for it is not universally so his day wages are somewhat lower his employment though it depends much does not depend so entirely upon the occasional call of his customers and it is not liable to be interrupted by the weather when the trades which generally afford constant employment happen in a particular place not to do so the wages of the workmen always rise a good deal above their ordinary proportion to those of common labour in london almost all journeymen artificers are liable to be called upon and dismissed by their masters from day to day and from week to week in the same manner as day labourers in other places the lowest order of artificers journeymen tailors accordingly earn their half a crown a day though eighteen pence may be reckoned the wages of common labour in small towns and country villages the wages of journeymen tailors frequently scarce equal those of common labour but in london they are often many weeks without employment particularly during the summer when the inconstancy of employment is combined with the hardship disagreeableness and dirtiness of the work it sometimes raises the wages of the most common labour above those of the most skilful artificers a collier working by the piece is supposed at newcastle to earn commonly about double and in many parts of scotland about three times the wages of common labour his high wages arise altogether from the hardship disagreeableness and dirtiness of his work his employment may upon most occasions be as constant as he pleases the coal-heavers in london exercise a trade which in hardship dirtiness and disagreeableness almost equals that of colliers and from the unavoidable irregularity in the arrivals of coal-ships the employment of the greater part of them is necessarily very inconstant if colliers therefore commonly earn double and triple the wages of common labour it ought not to seem unreasonable that coal-heavers should sometimes earn four and five times those wages 
in the inquiry made into their condition a few years ago it was found that at the rate at which they were then paid they could earn from six to ten shillings a day six shillings are about four times the wages of common labour in london and in every particular trade the lowest common earnings may always be considered as those of the far greater number how extravagant soever those earnings may appear if they were more than sufficient to compensate all the disagreeable circumstances of the business there would soon be so great a number of competitors as in a trade which has no exclusive privilege would quickly reduce them to a lower rate the constancy or inconstancy of employment cannot affect the ordinary profits of stock in any particular trade whether the stock is or is not constantly employed depends not upon the trade but the trader fourthly the wages of labour vary accordingly to the small or great trust which must be reposed in the workman the wages of goldsmiths and jewellers are everywhere superior to those of many other workmen not only of equal but of much superior ingenuity on account of the precious materials with which they are entrusted we trust our health to the physician our fortune and sometimes our life and reputation to the lawyer and attorney such confidence could not safely be reposed in people of a very mean or low condition their reward must be such therefore as may give them that rank in the society which so important a trust requires the long time and the great expense which must be laid out in their education when combined with this circumstance necessarily enhance still further the price of their labour when a person employs only his own stock and trade there is no trust and the credit which he may get from other people depends not upon the nature of the trade but upon their opinion of his fortune probity and prudence the different rates of profit therefore in the different branches of trade cannot arise from the different degrees of trust reposed in the traders fifthly the wages of labour in different employments vary according to the probability or improbability of success in them the probability that any particular person shall ever be qualified for the employments to which he is educated is very different in different occupations in the greatest part of mechanic trades success is almost certain but very uncertain in the liberal professions put your son apprentice to a shoemaker there is little doubt of his learning to make a pair of shoes but send him to study the law it is at least twenty to one if he ever makes such proficiency as will enable him to live by the business in a perfectly fair lottery those who draw the prizes ought to gain all that is lost by those who draw the blanks in a profession where twenty fail for one that succeeds that one ought to gain all that should have been gained by the unsuccessful twenty the counsellor at law who perhaps at near forty years of age begins to make something by his profession ought to receive the retribution not only of his own so tedious and expensive education but of that of more than twenty others who are never likely to make anything by it how extravagant soever the fees of counsellors at law may sometimes appear their real retribution is never equal to this compute in any particular place what is likely to be annually gained and what is likely to be annually spent by all the different workmen in any common trade such as that of shoemakers or weavers and you will find that the former sum will generally exceed the latter but make the same computation with regard to all the counsellors and students of law in all the different ends of court and you will find that their annual gains bear but a very small proportion to their annual expense even though you rate the former as a high and the latter as low as can well be done the lottery of the law therefore is very far from being a perfectly fair lottery and that as well as many other liberal and honourable professions is in point of pecuniary gain evidently under recompensed those professions keep their level however with other occupations and notwithstanding these discouragements all the most generous and liberal spirits are eager to crowd into them 
two different causes contribute to recommend them first the desire of the reputation which attends upon superior excellence in any of them and secondly the natural confidence which every man has more or less not only in his own abilities but in his own good fortune to excel in any profession in which but few arrive at mediocrity it is the most decisive mark of what is called genius or superior talents the public admiration which attends upon such distinguished abilities makes always a part of their reward a greater or smaller in proportion as it is higher or lower in degree it makes a considerable part of that reward in the profession of physic a still greater perhaps in that of law in poetry and philosophy it makes almost the whole there are some very agreeable and beautiful talents of which the possession commands a certain sort of admiration but of which the exercise for the sake of gain is considered whether from reason or prejudice as a sort of public prostitution the pecuniary recompense therefore of those who exercise them in this manner must be sufficient not only to pay for the time labour and expense of acquiring the talents but for the discredit which attends the employment of them as the means of subsistence the exorbitant rewards of players opera singers opera dancers etc are founded upon those two principles the rarity and beauty of the talents and the discredit of employing them in this manner it seems absurd at first sight that we should despise their persons and yet reward their talents with the most profuse liberality while we do the one however we must of necessity do the other should the public opinion or prejudice ever alter with regard to such occupations their pecuniary recompense would quickly diminish more people would apply to them and the competition would quickly reduce the price of their labour such talents though far from being common are by no means so rare as imagined many people possess them in great perfection who disdain to make this use of them and many more are capable of acquiring them if anything could be made honourably by them the overweening conceit which the greater part of men have of their own abilities is an ancient evil remarked by the philosophers and moralists of all ages their absurd presumption in their own good fortune has been less taken notice of it is however if possible still more universal there is no man living who when in tolerable health and spirits has not some share of it the chance of gain is by every man more or less overvalued and the chance of loss is by most men undervalued and by scarce any man who is in tolerable health and spirits valued more than it is worth that the chance of gain is naturally overvalued we may learn from the universal success of lotteries the world neither ever saw nor ever will see a perfectly fair lottery or one in which the whole gain compensated the whole loss because the undertaker could make nothing by it in the state lotteries the tickets are really not worth the price which is paid by the original subscribers and yet commonly sell in the market for twenty thirty and sometimes forty per cent advance the vain hopes of gaining some of the great prizes is the sole cause of this demand the soberest people scarce look upon it as a folly to pay a small sum for the chance of gaining ten or twenty thousand pounds though they know that even that small sum is perhaps twenty or thirty per cent more than the chance is worth in a lottery in which no prize exceeded twenty pounds though in other respects it approached much nearer to a perfectly fair one than the common state lotteries there would not be the same demand for tickets in order to have a better chance for some of the great prizes some people purchase several tickets and others small shares in a still greater number there is not however a more certain proposition in mathematics than that the more tickets you adventure upon the more likely you are to be a loser adventure upon all the tickets in the lottery and you lose for certain and the greater the number of your tickets the nearer you approach to this certainty that the chance of loss is frequently undervalued and scarce ever valued more than it is worth we may learn from the very moderate profit of insurers 
In order to make insurance, either from fire or sea risk, a trade at all, the common premium must be sufficient to compensate the common losses, to pay the expense of management, and to afford such a profit as might have been drawn from an equal capital employed in any common trade. The person who pays no more than this, evidently pays no more than the real value of the risk, or the lowest price at which he can reasonably expect to insure it. But though many people have made a little money by insurance, very few have made a great fortune, and, from this consideration alone, it seems evident enough that the ordinary balance of profit and loss is not more advantageous in this than in other common trades, by which so many people make fortunes. Moderate, however, as the premium of insurance commonly is, many people despise the risk too much to care to pay it. Taking the whole kingdom at an average, nineteen houses in twenty, or rather perhaps ninety-nine in a hundred, are not insured from fire. Sea risk is more alarming to the greater part of people, and the proportion of ships insured to those not insured is much greater. Many sail, however, at all seasons, and even in time of war, without any insurance. This may sometimes, perhaps, be done without any imprudence. When a great company, or even a great merchant, has twenty or thirty ships at sea, they may, as it were, insure one another. The premium saved upon them all may more than compensate such losses as they are likely to meet within the common course of chances. The neglect of insurance upon shipping, however, in the same manner as upon houses, is, in most cases, the effect of no such nice calculation, but of mere thoughtless rashness and presumptuous contempt of the risk. The contempt of risk and the presumptuous hope of success are in no period of life more active than at the age at which young people choose their professions. How little the fear of misfortune is then capable of balancing the hope of good luck appears still more evidently in the readiness of the common people to enlist as soldiers or to go to sea than in the eagerness of those of better fashion to enter into what are called the liberal professions. What a common soldier may lose is obvious enough. Without regarding the danger, however, young volunteers never enlist so readily as at the beginning of a new war, and though they have scarce any chance of preferment, they figure to themselves in their youthful fancies a thousand occasions of acquiring honor and distinction which never occur. These romantic hopes make the whole price of their blood. Their pay is less than that of common laborers, and, in actual service, their fatigues are much greater. End of Book 1, Chapter 10, Part 1